was the real secret of the Tarahumara. They'd never forgotten what it felt like to love running. They remembered that running was mankind's first fine art, our original act of inspired creation, way before we were scratching pictures on caves or beating rhythms on hollow trees. We were perfecting the art of combining our breath and mind and muscles into fluid self-propulsion over wild terrain. And when our ancestors finally did make the first cave paintings, what were the first designs? A downward slash, lightning bolts through the bottom and middle. Behold, the running man. Distance running was revered because it was indispensable. It was the way we survived and thrived and spread across the planet. You ran to eat and to avoid being eaten. You ran to find a mate, an impressor. And with her, you ran off to start a new life together. You had to love running, or you wouldn't live to love anything else. And like everything else we love, everything we sentimentally call our passions and desires, it's really an encoded ancestral necessity. We were born to run. We were born because we run. We're all running people, as the Tarahumara have always known. That's an excerpt from Christopher McDougall's Born to Run. We are so excited to share today that he is our guest on the podcast. You're going to love this one, friends. We've got another podcast, a little more good, with a new friend, someone we've admired for a long time, someone that was transformative for my own life changed my approach and experience with running made it something that I needed to do because I wanted to you know have a certain physique to something that I needed to do because it was a a spiritual experience an experience for mental well-being for creativity a space that allowed created spaciousness in my life for stress to kind of disintegrate and and, and wellness to enter this week's guest, Christopher McDougall, author of the hit book, Born to Run. Yeah. National bestseller about this uh, incredible people, the Tarahumara, the Ramamori, the hidden tribe, super athletes, and the greatest, greatest race the world has never seen. We were, we were so excited to catch up with him and hear some of his stories. He's such, a, such an energetic, enthusiastic person. I mean, we, we spoke over Zoom and it was amazing. He, he tells the story of kind of the day and the lead up to that conversation and even just the way that he kind of got himself in the headspace and ready for the combo it, it was amazing. He's inspiring. He's a storyteller. He's so much fun. Someone who is just wired with curiosity, which I think is why we clicked right away on more than, you know, his amazing book. Um, but just him as a person was, it was so cool to, to share the space and, and hear some more of like kind of the behind the scenes of the book and, and some of the stories that, that went into making Born to Run such a fun read and really such, a, such an insightful read as well. If you haven't read it, I would say it's one of my most recommended books for people that run and for people that don't run. Mm -hmm. We all we are all born to run, born to move, yes. born to experience this this, you know, human experience and in a way connected to to the earth. Um it, it's just such an incredible read. It's an adventure story. It's kind of like someone asked me what it was like and I'm like it's almost like the Da Vinci Code of running. Like it's such a and that might like cheapen it in some ways. <laughs> Because it's it's really got incredible historical and cultural t 
tellings of of kind of the human history of, of running um but it's very much an adventure it's a page turner um it's much more than what you might assume a running book can can be so whether you're a track star a long distance runner or someone that is as curious about running uh this is a book that i recommend for everybody yeah and equally so this conversation is for everyone it's not just for runners um you might know someone who's a runner in your life and absolutely share this episode with them send it to them through text you can just say, yo, there's this podcast on running. I don't know. I think you're going to dig it. We all have those, you know, runner friends. Um, but equally so, it's a it's an inspirational story that's about connecting to our roots, connecting to our shared humanity, the things that, that we all have in common that make us, you know, who we are. And I mean, uh, Christopher, as, as an author and as a person, like I said, is just so so imaginative, so uh, such a dedicated um, journalist, really, and storyteller, and and his story and who he is uh, can can serve as inspiration to anyone, anyone who listens. So so thank for thank you for tuning in and, and share this one with a friend that you think might dig it. Yes, yes, yes. All right, before we let this episode roll, this week's podcast was brought to you by Athletic Greens. You know, I always started uh, my AG1 journey with the morning wake and shake is kind of the way I started my day, but I've been playing around with some new things. It's kind of been, you know, I'm, I'm a a caffeine sensitive fellow. Right. And uh, sometimes I need like a midday pick me up and my AG ones almost become my, like my coffee break, my AG one break. I've been having some midday AG ones to kind of give me a little boost, a little kick to get me, get me through the day when I need a little extra support. What about you, Dean? Are you a morning guy or do you uh, change it up? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty regularly a morning guy with the AG1. Um, it's just kind of one of those first first things that I do in the day to kind of start my day right. But uh, I have I have been known to dabble in the afternoon, a little, little afternoon AG1. Uh, today, actually being one of those days, it was just, um, you know, feeling feeling like I'm fighting off a bit of a but a bit of a cold here and so I just thought you know what the heck what's uh what's it's not gonna hurt me to double down on it and so just got home and and was feeling a little tired and same thing it's just like that afternoon pick me up knowing you know it's got 75 high quality ingredients vitamins nutrients minerals mushrooms adaptogens probiotics prebiotics like it's just it's like a it's it's everything you need to stay feeling a hundred percent there you go. Vitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics, phytonutrient plan, metabolism, energy and stress support, immunity support, digestive support. One scoop, once a day, every day. It's all you need. And we want to we want to make it accessible to you too, which is wonderful. You can use our code. Go to athleticgreens.com/slash/moregood. Follow that link, athleticgreens.com/slash/moregood, and when you order through there, you're gonna get a year's supply of vitamin D. Gotta get that immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs. So if you're on the go, if you're going out of town, you can throw them in your bag. They travel so well. Mix it up, and away you go. And all that can be yours, and you're gonna be leveling up your health. It's great. Athleticgreens.com/slash/moregood. Go there, sign up, get some AG1 in your life, support the pod. We appreciate it. And ultimately, you're doing something great for yourself. There you go. A little more good through AG1 yes, from Athletic Greens. Yes, sir. All right. On to this week's episode. Let's go. Recording in progress. All right, all right. We're so very excited for the conversation that we're about to have today with one of my personal heroes, and I know Dean's as well. 
Uh, we're here, we're sitting here uh, across the Pacific uh, with Christopher McDougall, author of Born to Run and many other amazing books. Welcome to the conversation, Christopher. Dean, right from the start, I got to say, I love your work in Breaking Bad. Uh, I think Hank Schlager, what a great character. I feel like you finally, I don't even recognize you. You are such an amazing actor. I feel like I'm looking at a completely different person right now. That's a, this is really <laughs> there you go. That's the uh, the trick of acting, you know? It's like, true, uh, yes. <laughs> d- different masks for different times. That's right. Oh, Dean Morris. Morris. Oh. <laughs> oh, I never... I never would have accepted this call under under those circumstances. <laughs> well, now that we've trapped you, now that we've got you here. Yes, yes. <laughs> a little bait and switch. It's our, our usual go-to to, to get, you know, guests like yourself on the podcast. Yeah. Man, oh, man. It's very effective. <laughs> Thank you. That's Thank a good you. one. <laughs> I love it. Well, we're, as I said, we're both big fans of your work. Um, runners ourselves and people who've, who've kind of embraced this journey of, you know what it means to to be a runner to embody that and so we want to we want to get into that um with you as you've done lots of writing and work and thinking about that yourself um but really like the kind of fundamental piece that changed changed us and put us onto you uh, and we really we really just fell in love with was your book born to run and it's an amazing story um that touches on not only the kind of the history of running but the the development of it and had, had had huge ripples in terms of the running community and how people ran and the types of things that we ran on our feet with and rethinking even the way we do it. But I wanted to kind of start with this question, like how, how did you come to understand or how did you come to know that we as a, as a species were born to run? I think the only thing that surprises and disappoints me is I didn't think of it sooner that, you know, we, we are so matrixed out by consumerism and marketing and products that sometimes we don't realize how, how buried we are. And it, it still kind of distresses me that this whole simple ancestral activity is just so bombarded with buy this, sign up for this, compete for this, you need this. If you don't have this, you'll get injured. All this this stuff. And then, you know, again, my revelation was only when I was in Chihuahua, Mexico, researching an article for the New York Times Magazine, completely unrelated to anything to do with running. It was actually about a pop star who was running a secret brainwashing sex cult. So that was actually my objective when I was down there. But I kept seeing these images, like on license plates and on calendars and posters uh, for like soda in uh, in restaurants showing men and women in these uh, dresses and sandals, you know, kind of running, like sort of profiled as runners. And I, and they were everywhere. So I asked who they were and someone said, oh yeah, that's the Tarumara, you know, the Laramuri. And they are the sort of the, the pride, the, the hometown pride of the Chihuahua region because they are the greatest distance runners on earth. Now at the time, I was doing a, a fair bit of freelance writing for Runner's World magazine. And I'm like, wait a minute, how come I've never heard of these guys? If they're like the greatest distance runners. And I started to go back through old stories and realized, oh, yeah, back in the 90s, they made quite a splash. But then after that, after they dominated those early ultra races uh, in Leadville in the 1990s, they kind of, you know, vanished off the radar. So that became my sort of curiosity was to find out, well, who are these people? And if they're so good, how come we've never heard about them? That was the beginning of me sort of following the, the breadcrumbs. But, you know, your original question was, um, you know, what was the the big reveal? 
that kind of illuminated for me how we ran ancestrally. It was being down with this group and noticing two things which really had an impact. Number one, that everybody could move, men and women, old and young, didn't matter the age, didn't matter the gender, didn't matter the terrain, they could move easily and lightly. But number two, they all looked the same when they did it, that they were just, they had the same kind of running style and cadence. And to me, that was actually, a, you know, a, sort of a big lightning bolt because I had always like struggled with, I don't know how my arms are supposed to go. I never, I never really knew. And then whenever you look in magazines, they're always like, don't, don't change your natural gait. You know, you run the way you run, just get the different shoes. I'm like, well, these guys don't have shoes and they're all running the same way. And that's when it, it's finally clicked, like what should have been so friggin' obvious, which is that running like every other activity on planet earth has a biomechanically efficient form just like anything else a tennis swing uh, a, a swimming stroke the way you use your chopsticks and we've just been so bombarded with consumerism we're told don't change your body change what you buy mm. there you go there, there's my ted talk for you there's a, there's a five minute rebuttal <laughs> yeah. your, your barefoot ted talk or your uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, why have i never thought of that like barefoot TED Talk. There Damn we go. It. It'd have to it's be a, a little bit more long-winded if it was a bare, barefoot TED Talk, <laughs> I think. The boy can go. Yes. I guess on that note of um, a barefoot TED and, and Caballo Blanco and these amazing characters, these 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 people that became a part of the tapestry of, of Born to Run, um, Just I, I know so many people have shared their experience of, of, of reading your books and for me, it just brought so much joy. I listened to it first as an audio book and I would run with it and it brought so much joy um, and just kind of made me look for, it was my companion to run with for, for a while and I would go back and re-listen because it was a history and it was this travel log and, and it kind of like checked all those boxes of, of enjoyment from learning something new to, to this travel experience. Um, one thing we love to share on on this podcast is is just the old art of storytelling, and it's something you're so great at. Could you kind of talk us through one discovering the Copper Canyon and the Tara Umara um, for yourself, uh, experiencing the Tara Umara for the first time for yourself, um, discovering Micah True Caballo Blanco, and kind of those those first experiences in Copper Canyon. Yeah, it really kind of threw me back on my heels because I had worked as a foreign correspondent for a bunch of years, about uh, six years overseas, and came back to the U.S. and started living strictly by magazine freelancing. And so in both of those jobs, I worked for the Associated Press, which meant that you're responsible for every kind of break in story in every category in your region. So I was the uh, Lisbon correspondent, and then I spent a lot of time in um, Southern Africa. And uh, so if I'm in Angola and the prime minister devalues a currency, I got to write a story. And if the soccer team makes it to the World Cup finals, I got to write a story all in the same day. So I'm used to just move, 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 get the story, get it out the door. Magazine freelancer, the more you write, you know, the more the more you get paid. And so you don't dilly-dally around. The reason why I decided to actually go in search of the Tarahumara is because the New York Times had paid me to go to Chihuahua for one story. And I thought, well, as long as I'm here, you know, why not double dip on the same dime? You know, yes. they paid my way down here. Let's just jump down this canyon, get two stories for the price of one. 
But what happened was, this is the first time pretty much in years of doing journalism that I arrived at people who just didn't give a shit. <laughs> they didn't care that I was there to do a story and they didn't care to talk. And so I, I got down, we, we first arrived at Arnulfo Kimare's home, which was its own wild, crazy trek expedition. I found a guy who thought he might know how to get there because, you know, the type of model live in pretty, pretty um, desolate uh, obscurity at the bottom of these canyons. You know, these canyons are deeper and wider than the Grand Canyon. So you're just dropping a pin down on this massive gorge and hoping it finds its way to where you're going. And this guy's older brother had done some treks down there and had taken him down there. And he thought maybe he knew where to go. So he and I set off as the only guy who could find a guide me. And we're wandering around lost three days. And we were finally arrived at uh, Arnulfo Kimari's house. Like, oh my God, we actually found the house of the greatest living Tarumara runner, exhausted, hungry, dehydrated, sunburned, all of it, relieved. And we sit down in his little back area overlooking the river. And I whip out my my notebook and start asking questions. And he just doesn't say anything, anything. You know, he offered us some like limes. He likes kind of sweet limes to eat. We ate those and we just hung out. I would ask questions and he would just kind of like smile, just kind of look off and just not say a word. It was crazy. It was uh, the most painfully awkward social experience I've had that did not involve dating. Uh, it, was, it was it was that bad and, and it actually reminded me that I, I think i've been in bars where i'll go up to a girl like hey how you doing and they would kind of like let their gaze kind of drift over your shoulder to like anywhere else that's not it's not you <laughs> so we hung out for a few hours and then finally uh the guy the guy who was guiding me just kind of like dude let's do a mercy kill it ain't happening let's get out of here yes. and we just but i felt like if i leave like what if Five more minutes, you know, maybe he'll crack open the vault and just reveal his secrets. And we linger. And then suddenly it's getting dark. We got to find a place to spend the night in the bottom of this desolate canyon. So that was it for Arnulfo. And I would have had no more luck with any of the Tarumara that I met down there. Because, you know, this is a group that lives there explicitly to avoid incursions by dudes like me you know their experience with outsiders has been negative for 400 years so a dude showing up with with poking around trying to get information yeah not not a good historical precedent for that mm -hmm. uh so we retreated and we found a little thought about a schoolhouse and luckily the schoolmaster had spent time up in chihuahua and he was kind of a foot in both worlds kind of guy and he's like dude you're you're wasting your time you, you, they will never talk to you and I personally don't run. I, I don't have much, you know, this guy's telling me I don't have much to reveal to you. The guys you do want to talk to ain't going to talk to you. He goes, you should have, you should probably talk to Caballo Blanco. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, the white, the white horse. He's, he's kind of like you, you know, big, tall, goofy gringo like you. He's been down here for like 15 years. You should go talk to that guy. I said, perfect. Where is he? Uh, I, I don't know. You know, uh, just ask around. And that was it. So that was, that began the quest, you know, the quest for Caballo Blanco, which as the days went by and we're working our way through the canyons. It became one of these things where like, man, are people just messing with me? It was, <laughs> is there like a canyon wide conspiracy? They're like, Hey, this guy's on the way. Tell him you saw the white horse. Okay. Because everywhere I went, like I just missed him. Oh, Hey, by the way, do you know this guy named Mike Katrug? Oh yeah. Man, he was here yesterday. Oh, he, he just here for lunch. 
And, uh, and we just kept going and going until finally we actually found the dude. And I just, to this day, I cannot believe it, man. Needle in a haystack, show up in this little tiny town, go to this little hotel, the only hotel in the town. Do you know this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's here. You know, he's been staying here. He's always back by three o'clock for lunch. I'm like, oh, great. I look at the clock. Well, it's five o'clock. <laughs> oh, I guess he left. Like, all right. You know, joke's on me. But then he did turn up. Um, when I met him, it was at his hangriest, you know, not never, never the most kind of jovial dude. You know, no one's going to mistake Micah True for Santa Claus. You know, not, not the jolliest guy on a good day. Uh, <laughs> but I called him after he had just gotten lost in the woods, you know, which should have been a couple miles and it turned into like a trail half marathon. He is just ravenous, thirsty, hungry. And he gets, you know, Shanghai doorstop by some stranger asking him questions. Um, and I, I wasn't going to let him go. I was just kind of like hanging on to him, clinging on. And he's like, come on, man, let's go get some beans. So he went to one of these houses where he knew all, all these little mamas, you know, down in the can canyons who would feed him for a few bucks. So we go to this woman's house, sit down, just start chowing on beans and beers. And I don't know, about four bowls in, four bowls and four beers later, he was starting to unwind a little uh and he was cool man he was he was exactly what you'd expect from uh kind of if you ever like adopted a feral cat that's him you know like he's kind of born in the wild he might you know he'll come to the house he'll eat some of your food but he's basically going back to the woods and that was kind of what it was like was he was living his life in the bottom of the canyons and um, didn't care if I was there or not there, which made him the great best guy to interview because no agenda, no ego going on, just sharing the stuff that was of interest to him, the stuff that was cooped up in his brain he was ready to go with. And that, that began this, I got to say, one of the weirdest friendships I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's like those are wild stories. And I mean, even when you read when you read them in the book, like it feels almost mythical. Like you're like you said, you're chasing this this like phantom, right? Like not only the Tarahumara themselves, very secretive, elusive, and, and then this this figure, this character, Caballo Blanco, that is like almost mythical and larger than life, and yet here here he is, and you're able to kind of connect and see, you know, like what what running was for him. How did that shift when you started to talk to him and ask some questions? How did that shift your understanding or, or move you towards this, this pursuit of understanding like, Oh yeah, we, we as a people are, are born to do this. Running is like in our nature and, and here's someone who kind of embodies it. This wild, this wild man who's out there and spends his days basically running. Well, you know, that's a great question, but I just want to say one thing first is that you know, a lot of the comments I'll get, um, from people about born to run is like, is this, is this fiction? Like, do these people exist? Yeah. And a, a, yeah, like, you know, I, I hear from barefoot Ted all, all the time and Lewis and Jen and Billy, Billy lives in Hawaii as well. Uh, yes, they're real. B, I feel like if I was inaccurate about anything is that I dial it down a little bit, you know, wow. like, like the Jen Shelton stories, there's just, there's only 300 pages in the book, you know, yes. like this could have been a multi-volume series just on Jen, you know, and her, her escapades. But here's the thing about it though, is that, um, you know, when I was back during my magazine freelancing days, when I first moved back from uh, Africa to 
the U.S. to start magazine freelancing. Everyone told me, you got to go to New York. Like, that's where all the magazines are. You got to go up there and network. And I thought, well, if everybody's in New York, like, what the fuck am I going to do there? Uh, I'm just another dude. So I, I stuck to base. You know, I'm from Philadelphia. So I thought, if everyone's in New York, Philly's a town that I know. And I'm going to find stories here that these guys are never going to hear about. And I, I, I sort of done it ever since, that if everybody's heading one direction, that I try to find something else that no one's paying attention to. And so at the time, with Born to Run and the Tabo Mata, you know, no one had paid any attention to them at that point for like 15 years at all. Nothing in print about them. But also, if you looked at the the kind of the running library at the, you know, at the books, so if you went to Barnes & Noble and you looked for books on running, there's nothing there. There was a couple of training books, and that was it. And it was the same old bullshit training advice, like how not to chafe and the... 80-20 rule and only increased by 10%, all, all the same old junk over and over and over, how to pick your shoes. And um, and so there, there was nothing there. So it made it a ripe opportunity to find these characters. And by characters, I mean, they're everywhere. I'll give you an example. So I'm now living here in Hawaii and I became interested in Hawaiian style body surfing, which is this really cool, ancient, arcane art. Like the way Hawaiians body surf, different than you'll see anywhere else in the world. And I'm out at this beach one day, maybe my first week here, and I'm trying to body surf, I'm getting hammered. And this guy swims over, he starts to give me some advice. I start to talk to the guy. He reveals that the reason why he's body surfing in Hawaii is because he can't go back to California anymore because he had served, he was serving two life terms for murder and kidnapping. He was given clemency by Governor Jerry Brown moved to Iowa, started a trucking company. He now had enough money to do whatever he wanted, but he can't go back to uh, to California. So every three months he flies to Hawaii to go body surfing. That, that was his love and his passion. And this is in the first week that I'm in this state trying body surfing. And I meet a guy who had done was doing life terms for murder and kidnapping, and he's my body surfing partner. So <laughs> I think the, the, the people are there. They're easy to find. I met another guy whose grandfather was a Nazi, a Nazi engineer, he abandoned the family in Nazi Germany. So this guy's grandmother ended up marrying a U.S. Marine in occupied Germany who was from Hawaii. And he took this woman and her kids back here. So the reason why my buddy is here is because his grandfather, the Nazi engineer, abandoned the family, you know, 60, 70 years ago in Nazi Germany. So it's stuff like that. The stories are there. The people are there but they get lost in all the noise. If everybody's all talking about one subject, then these other pe characters are out there kind of, you know, lurking in the shadows. So if you go out and look, you you'll find all kinds of cool people. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, we're all a mixture of these wild stories and we think, ah, it's just me. I'm just whatever. But if we start to unpack them, even in our own lives, you're like, no, that's a pretty, that's a pretty harrowing journey that my family made or that I've experienced. And I think, uh, have you always been someone who's been really curious and drawn to, to ask maybe like, good questions. I mean, obviously it, it's what you do as a writer, as a journalist, you're exploring and, and you're kind of digging out from people, but has it been something since you were a kid where you would meet people and just kind of like get into like getting to know them or people just voluntarily, you have the kind of personality where people share stuff to you. What, what's your experience been with that? Yeah, completely. I think, uh, well, you know, it's funny. I was uh, out with a buddy recently and uh, I was visiting his grandmother's neighborhood where he had grown up for the first time. And I was just kind of spellbound. Like it was such a cool neighborhood. And you know, I, I just, so much about it, I really dug like the way it was kind of 
lodged back against the mountain. So I'm, I'm bombarding this guy with questions about growing up here and what it was like. And he goes, you know, you got, you've got a beginner's mind. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And I didn't, I didn't realize it was a thing. It's like, no, I, that's actually like a term. There've been books written about, about a beginner's mind. And it's about someone who gets jazzed by not knowing what's going on. And I'm like, you know, that makes perfect sense. Like that's when I really feel like on, like switched on. Like if I'm in, a, in an environment where I don't know anybody, don't have a clue. Uh, the hard thing for me about writing is that I love the research part. I'll research like a bloodhound for forever. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stay on the trail for two years, no problem. But you can't. At one point, you got to sit down. But by the time you're ready to write the book, you know the story already. It's on board. You're like, oh, fuck, now I got to do this stuff again. And it was actually a problem with Born to Run because I had uh, done some kind of preliminary research. I had trained with Coach Eric Horton. I went down to the canyon for the race. I came back from the race. I traveled to everybody's home individually, Barefoot Ted, Scott, Jen, went to all their homes and hung out with them for a couple of days, took a bunch of notes. Before I, I wrote a proposal for this book I wanted to write. So by this point, I've been living with this project for like three or four months, wrote this very detailed 50-page proposal, submitted it, publisher signed off, and now it's time to sit down and go to work. And, and I just threw the proposal aside. Now I'm going to do something different and try to tell the story a completely different way. Spent about nine months working on this draft, turned it in my editor, and he's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what is this? Uh, did you even look at your proposal? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just thought of a better way. He's like, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> you, you didn't think of a better way. You thought of a different way, not a better way. So I had to tear that draft up and go back to the drawing board. Luckily, by that point, the proposal was now old enough that it felt fresh. And so I could start over. Uh, but yeah, I think I just get really intrigued. You know, if I meet somebody, just kind of find out what their deal is. Amazing. Kind of, kind of circling back to, to the running. Um, how, when you're running Born to Run, you know, you're, you're a central character in the book as well. And you're kind of this, this anti-hero runner in a way, someone that, you know, didn't necessarily identify as a runner the same way that Scott Jurek did in the book. Um, but your evolution of running is maybe the most profound, uh, compared to the other characters you go from, being new to the sport to, to running in the Copper Canyon with some of the best runners in the world. Um, so, and from there to, to other books with running with Sherman, you know, running these incredible journeys with a, with a rescue donkey. So how has, has running been a catalyst for, for joy in your life and how has running changed your life as a whole? Uh, for me, it's, it's medicinal. It yeah. is, uh, it is, a necessary part of every day. As a matter of fact, you know, it's been really windy and wet here the last couple of days. And this morning I was kind of like grouchy. I was just bad, felt bad. I, I had a, a dream overnight that I had mortally offended all of my friends, that everybody I knew I had really offended them and they were no longer talking to me. And I would have to like wake up and like, start making new friends. Like, I, I think I was having like really like a, a mental crisis. And I realized, oh, dude, yeah, you haven't exercised in two days and you're falling apart. You're falling apart. And so that was it. So five minutes ago, the reason I just came in a couple of seconds late was I ran down to the water. It's a super crazy, gnarly, windy, wild surf day and just 
chuck my body in the water. I said, man, you just got to shake it out a little, man, you know, do a, do an ocean plunge. Uh, so for me, I think, I think what it comes down to is that, well, I shouldn't say for me, here's what I think we are as humans. I think humans are creatures of movements. You know, we were never sedentary. We were always on the move. You know, we are hunter gatherers. We were not hunter sleepers. You know, we weren't gatherer chillers. We were hunter gatherers. Like the two terms that define us are chase something really far and walk really far to pick shit up, you know? So, and, and that's, you know, and that's also, I think the, the history of our species on the planet. It's like we started in sub-Saharan Africa and now we're everywhere. We're not, we're not even on earth anymore. We're above the earth. We are creatures that move and spread more than any other creature on the planet. And so I think that is in our, our genome is to, is to move. And if we don't, I think it's a signal to our body that something is going wrong. Uh, and so for me, on a personal note, yeah, I, I think the reason why I got in trouble in school all the time was because, you know, you take this half domesticated mammal and sit now sit from the age of six until like 30. Don't move. Uh, sit at your desk, sit at your desk, sit at your desk, sit in your car, sit in your house. And to me, it's just the more I sit, the more pent up I feel. So here's here's like kind of as a writer, what I discovered was that news writing was dynamite for me because you do an article you blaze out the door you research something else as a book writer it was a rocky transition because you go from filing like three stories a day uh to now you do one story for two years and i thought okay you know you know you watch on tv what, what writers do like they get up at five in the morning and they have the cup of coffee and the, the cardigan on and they're you know tapping away all day so I tried to do that and it did not work at all. Like I was Mr. Distraction. So uh, I gave up on it. So what I started, what I realized I could do is that once the sun would start to set, I would cycle down a little bit. And so I would get up early in the morning. We had a farm in Pennsylvania and I just worked on the farm all day till sunset. And I would get up, help the kids get ready for school, feed all the animals, fix fences, go for a run, jump in a creek, drive to a hardware store, Putter, 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 putter all day long. And around eight o'clock at night, I, I think it was perfectly diurnal. As soon as the sun was setting, I felt like at peace. And I could work from like eight o'clock to like one in the morning, totally chill. Uh, and, and so for me, that's what, that's the role running plays is that as my go-to ripcord, if I'm feeling shitty, just go and move. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates with us for sure. Uh, sometimes it's the, it's the creative process too, is you're feeling stuck. And oftentimes it's because physically we're stuck. And then as soon as you get up out of the chair and start moving, walking, or for us, like going for a run, the the problem that you were facing kind of dissolves or a myriad of solutions appear as you're running along the trail or whatever it is. And just, you know, something that seemed insurmountable a half hour before, you know, after a few kilometers down, down the road, down the trail, you're like, ah, oh, okay, I think I see my way around this or my way through this. And so how'd that work with you guys? Like what's your, what's your own story with running well, Dean here actually got me into running. I was a cyclist and like former high school, like I played basketball and soccer growing up. So running was kind of what I would do to stay in shape for those sports, but it was never the activity itself. And then, or, you know, or it'd be the punishment if you were late or you played poorly, you know, the next practice we were going to run, you know, and that was like the, the penalty for not, you know, doing our best. 
And then I got into cycling and I, I loved it, you know, for half the year. But here in Vancouver, it's rainy and cold for the other half of the year. And uh, Dean had a run club here in, in Vancouver and was like, come, come running with us. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't run, you know, I can run on a soccer field, but I can't, I've never run even 5k before and, uh, laced him up and really fell in love with the, the connection, the community, like we'd go for runs and, and the conversations would be beyond any conversation I'd have at a, a dinner table or, you know, at an office or whatever. And then on the mental health side, I found something that I was stressed about or a problem that I might have, you know, by the end of a 30 minute run or even better, an hour run, it had, I'd processed it without even really thinking about it. So just the conversations and the, the mental, the, the space it created for creativity and free thought and de-stressing, I kind of became hooked on that. And now similar to how you're saying it's medicinal for you, it's the same for me. Like I, I run to be myself really. Yeah, how about you, Dean? What was, yeah. your, what was your gateway? Yeah, so me, uh, I, I was similar to Zach, like a high school athlete, rugby, basketball, all the things. And then uh, I was playing pretty competitive rugby after high school and then got a bad concussion. It was kind of like, okay, I'm going to university not for a sport but for my future, and I think it's time to move on from this. And so kind of kept uh, eating as though I was training, you know, three, four days a week and playing rugby every weekend. And so all of a sudden, you know, uh, in in – body shaming notwithstanding like just for my own personal health like there was a lot more of me than there should have been and I yeah. realized if I kept going down this pattern there would be a lot of you know my family pattern of, of of diabetes and hypertension I was like I can't keep living this way it's not good for me so kind of the only thing I knew in terms of like getting back in shape was going for a run and so I hated it like I would drag myself out here uh, where we live it's it's a below below sea level and there's a dike that goes around the entire city and so it's just a long gravel trail that's straight and you know kind of grueling at times but beautiful in its own way and so I'd run along this thing and um like literally hated it but I would tell myself like I have to go do this I have to go do this and then after a couple months it shift uh, there was a shift for me where it was like something that I had to go do to something that I like I had to, like I needed to, you know, and it was that same, that. that same resonance of like, it was medicine. It was helping my body physically, but it was also helping me become a better version of myself. Um, yeah. Challenging myself, seeing, seeing things that I thought would be impossible at one point, like running a 10 kilometer stretch without stopping all of a sudden I could do it. And then it was like, well, what's the next limit and what could I do next? Could I go further? Could I go faster? Um, can I bring, can I drag friends along with me? And yeah, so it's been, uh, I mean, you know, it's always a, a winding journey and there's some uphill patterns and, and sometimes where it just feels like it's free and easy running along. Um, but it's given me so much for sure. So by the way, before I forget, there's a documentary you have to watch on YouTube called beer runners. Have you seen this beer runners? Like beer that we drink. Yeah. Okay. You got to watch beer runners. Because it is the greatest saga I've ever seen. It's the best running film I've ever seen. Amazing. Because wow. actually, you can name good running films on one finger. Is there a good running film? R Run and Become. Have you seen that one? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a three chimney one? Yes. 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 Or is that called Run and Become? 3100. 3100. 3100. Yeah. 3, I like that one a lot. 
but that's probably that one it. Is an odd beast. That yes. one's an odd beast. I'll, yes. I'll give you that. I'll have to mull <laughs> that a little bit. <laughs> Although I feel like that was an odd beast. There, yes. there, there is a really, I mean, talk about a, I mean, ultra running draws eccentric personalities. This yes. is like the tip of the spear. Yes, 100%. Yeah, that is a fascinating. I will grant you that. That's, the, that's uh, all I've got, though. Different categories. That's almost like a science documentary. Like, can we understand, you know? Uh, <laughs> so beer runners, as far as like wacky joyfulness. Yes. Anyway, it, the whole journey you're describing, like, hey, I, I figured it out for myself. And my first impulse is, who else? Who else can I get? Yes. But, so I want to ask you is, you said you hated it. Um, looking back, was that the necessary phase you had to go through? Or do you wish you'd done something differently where you might not have hated it? Ooh, that's a really good question. I've, al I've always thought that it was kind of a necessary, a necessary pattern of like, I knew, I knew that I wanted to be, you know, back in, in healthier shape and better shape for my, for my body. And I think I just saw it as like, this was the, this was the mechanism to get me there. And so therefore I needed to just get on the struggle bus and ride it out. But yeah, that's interesting. In hindsight, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I feel like. I feel like that's, that's, that's the key to the kingdom right there. Like whatever repels people from running, if we can isolate it and fix it, then it's a whole new future. Uh, and everybody goes through that phase where, oh, you know, I hated it, didn't want to do it, I'm afraid of it. And I, and it's actually something. So, Eric and I, I don't know if you guys, you might know about this, but we wrote Born to Run 2. We wrote a sequel to Born to Run. Um, I wasn't sure if that was previously in our, in our correspondence or not. But basically, we're trying to address that very question like, what makes people associate this with unpleasantness? And I wonder in your case, Dean, if I wonder if because you were a conditioned athlete, you came at it the same way you went at it, like rugby practice. Like, I'm going to go hit it hard. I got to go fast. I got to go far. I got to push myself to the point of unhappiness or else I didn't get a workout. Yes. You know? Yes. I think there's probably some machismo in there for sure. Like I was a younger version of myself where that definitely played in 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that if it's not hard, you're not doing it right. Right. Yeah. Farther, faster, farther, faster, farther, faster all the time. So I'm really curious about that because, yeah, again, I feel like if we can flip that dynamic where people on their very first run come back feeling, oh, that was great, you know? Yeah. Can't and wait I till think, yeah. I, I, you know, in, in honest, I think that that's part of what your work is is so brilliantly doing. Like even the title of your book, right? To say to someone, who who would describe themselves oh i'm not a runner we all have friends or people who say that oh i'm well i'm not a runner that's cool that you do that i'm not a runner but to say no 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 like you are literally born to do this like yeah. it flips the script a little bit maybe you haven't done it in a long while maybe it's been since elementary school or high school but like don't forget your your body remembers like we were born for this and i, and I love this quote it's on your website from um Dr. Craig Richards, uh, professor out of, of biomedical research at the University of Newcastle, where it, it, the back half of the quote is, it is about time that as a society, we examined how it is that we got to the point where it is considered unnatural to run. And yeah. I think that like hits the nail on the head is so many people think, well, it's not normal. It's not natural for me. And we need to start telling the story like, no, no, 
it is. It is natural. Well, there's a flip side of that coin, though, which is the uh, the delicious dilemma that we live in, you know, which is that the catch-22 we live in is that, you know, we have these bodies evolved for movement, but we have brains evolved to conserve energy at all costs. So there is that mind-body war. Uh, but previously, we had no choice. Like, your, your mind's telling you, wait a minute, stay cool. You may need some gas in the tank in case a tiger comes. So, you know, don't don't blow out all your gas now. Uh, but the problem is that now the tiger never comes. And so all and it's also a very, very recent development in our history, because until about, you know, 150 years ago, we, you know, we've been around for two million years up until 150 years ago. You powered your own transportation. You got wherever you were going by your own energy, period. You know, and everything you wanted was at a distance. There were no corner grocery stores. There was no Uber Eats, nothing. So if you want to get to work, you walk to work. You wanted food, you went out and you got your food. And then suddenly, you know, very abruptly in human history, we kind of outsmarted our bodies and we removed any need to move whatsoever. You know, with your phone, you could just move your thumb for like three days and, and have everything you need. So that's that's the difficulty. So, you know, our brain is still sending what had been a very healthy message to our body for a long time, which is it don't ever waste your energy, you know, and your body's like, okay, uh, I will obey that message. But the problem now is, and also we've changed the way our, our, our food is not only served to us, but, but prepared, you know, everything's just loaded up with the, the high density stuff that would have been like liquid gold in the past, you know, a little bit of honey. If you get some honey, man, little bit of sugar that was unbelievable now you know all the sugar you want in a heartbeat you know it, it literally in arm's reach i am sure if you guys stretch your arms really far you can reach some like you know corn syrup products or some you know mega three shit or whatever that kind of stuff is anywhere yeah, yeah. i i think i, I want to come back to that that point on nutrition in just a moment but i i'm really interested uh have you ever thought of you said like you know the our brain body connection of of the brain saying hey conserve that energy for when the tiger comes can like let's not move unless we have to 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 survive or to stay alive um it's interesting in our modern world like i think the the physical tiger the threat of something that's gonna you know be our predator doesn't really exist and yet we live in a time where anxiety depression all of these things are are rampant in our society and in many ways those are the tig like those are the tigers and lions and bears of our current moment and when we move when we exercise when we you know fight flight or freeze where we we, we flight from those things by running by any type of exercise that that threat is minimized and i wonder if that's a story we need to start telling too well, we will be glad you just wrote that shit down. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm thinking notes look crazy, Dean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's chew on that a little bit because that's pretty pretty darn profound. That the threats we used to run from are no longer here, and because we don't run from them, they're now the threats. Something like that. Yeah. Told a hundred percent. Right. And, and right. we can think, I, I know personally when I, and, and you shared it earlier, like when I'm feeling that, that angst or feeling that stress, or I'm, I'm observing that I am not being a great partner or great dad or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I haven't moved today. I haven't moved in a couple of days. And it is, it's the run down to the beach and jump in the water or get in the gym and move some weight around or whatever it is, 20 minute walk outside. And I'm become a better version of myself because I think those, those 
those responses are still happening, but there isn't, there isn't a tiger. There isn't a bear that's chasing me down. Yeah. We've got to, we've got to invent the bear. Yeah. Uh, create, and we, we see that, you know, we see that happening and uh, you know, it's kind of weird because before we moved here, my, my wife grew up here and had always planned to be back in Hawaii and she did not plan to spend 25 years living on a farm in Peach Bottom, Pennsylvania. Uh, but before we moved here, I was kind of doubtful. I'm like, I don't know. I, there's a there's a creek that runs in front of our house, and there's like a little like plunge pool, like a little swimming hole in this tiny little creek. And I, I was in that thing every day. I'd be in that thing up until November, and I would just go outside, jump in the plunge pool, hang out in the cold water, come inside. And just I felt like perfect. I felt medicated. And so if we're getting ready to move, I was telling my wife, I don't know. I'm just I think I'm really gonna miss that that creek. She's like, you go to Hawaii, dude. It's the Northern Pacific. You're not going to miss the creek. You'll be okay. But I really looked at it as something I needed. Like I needed to get in that water because it really just took the edge off everything. Um, you know, one of the cool things was, you know, Eric Gordon and I, my coach Eric and I, just went on this tour as, as across the country, starting up in uh, Harlem and then going up through New England and then down to Atlanta and then through Kansas and out to California. And we were connecting with what's most interesting to me in running right now, which are smaller affinity groups of runners. And it really happened during the pandemic when races were shut down and the big running store weekly runs were shut down. And what happened was people began to just kind of find each other. And in particular, it was LGBTQ groups and Latina groups and people of color and in, indigenous groups. And so that's almost exclusively who we hung out with going across the country. And uh, my, my favorite group, I, I talk about them all the time, the Santa Mujeres runners in San Diego. These are two women who met each other at like music rock clubs and they used to like rock out, you know, at these, uh, at these music clubs. And they're in their 40s and each one independently was starting to run a little bit to get in shape. And they're like, well, we should just do it together. And then they realized, wait, if we found each other, then there's probably a lot of other Latino women. So they, they formed the Mujeres and they do this run every Thursday night. And I'm just utterly infatuated with them because they, they created it. And like, like that, bam, they get, now they get 50 runners a week turning up. All of them who would have said the exactly the same thing. I'm not a runner. But then they meet Virginia and Priscilla. And like, dude, I look at me. I am totally not a runner. And it's the whole thing. Of, hey, if you guys can do it. Why can't I? And that, that to me is what's really cool that's, that's been going on. Uh, that sense that this thing, which had been monopolized by um, one kind of population, is now spreading everywhere else. And to me, it's a really hopeful sign that a lot of other people can get those benefits. Yeah, because it really is. It really is like one of the most democratic, accessible sports out there. You talked earlier on about how you know we, we can have the 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 dry fit and the technical gear and the shoes and the next percents and the extra all, all the things, right? The gels and everything. But really, at at its core, it's the most accessible sport because you just you don't even really need running shoes. You don't even really need shoes. You just need right. your body and, and, and have granted an able body to to perform the movement of running in a biomechanical way that isn't going to cause injury and some space to do it in. Yeah, I, I just wish more people get that message, but I think that message is constantly drowned out. I mean, you think about this. I've heard it so many times. It drives me crazy that anytime you read any thing in print or on TV about how to start as a runner, the first thing they tell you is, 
make sure you go to your running specialty store and have your gait analyzed for the pair of shoes you know uniquely designed for you i mean that is so such horseshit but to me right off the bat it's creating barriers oh now i gotta go to this place i've never been to before talk to a person i don't know about stuff i don't know about i gotta be analyzed and then i gotta buy something from this bewildering wall of shoes with all this terminology i don't understand and they're 150 bucks and i'm told i gotta replace them in the three months to me like it's barrier 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 as opposed to someone like hey come on out with me I'll show you how to do this. You'll learn it in 10 minutes and you'll have a blast. Yeah, that's amazing. My my favorite thing when I watch people race, when I go to runs, um, you know, you see all the the elite cross the line first and yada yada. Everyone expects that from from those those folks. But at the at the end of the race is actually my favorite part. It's it's the moms with the strollers that are out there you know, pushing their kid across that 8K race or whatever it was. It's the it's the group of old grannies that look like they've been running together for, for 30 years, shuffling their feet, you know, getting to the finish line. It's kind of, it's those people that inspire me and motivate me much more than, you know, obviously we love, we, we celebrate, you know, the the champions on the front cover of, of the magazines and on the weedy boxes. But I think the true heroes are, are those, are those moms pushing the strollers and, and those grandmas and grandpas that are still running at, you know, 82 years old, lacing them up, getting to the finish line. Like I find that, or, or someone that's running, you know, for the first time in 10 years, lacing them up and they went out and ran 500 meters, you know, that's the kind of person that I want to celebrate. Um, yeah, I, I got to tell you, I have no interest in who wins what, you know. Um, someone reached out to me from a magazine a couple of years ago, back when they were, there's that big Nike push for the sub two hour marathon. And what do you think? I said, who gives a shit? Who cares? <laughs> I don't care. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the four minute mile of the marathon and the barrier and the, who cares? I, I don't, it's a number and some guy I never heard of is going to do that number faster. But who cares? You know, but I completely agree with you. There is nothing that any runner is going to do in an Olympic stadium that to me is any more fun than doing a Sunday morning run with, with some buddies. You know, I, I don't care what somebody else is doing. It just doesn't matter to me at all. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the midst of doing something right now. And now I'm at risk. The more I talk about it, the more I'm at risk of blowing it is that um, there's a thing called the knowledge. And the knowledge is an informal uh, word of honor contest to be the last person in the world to know who won that year's Super Bowl. And when you accidentally find out, you're supposed to go on this message board and go, ah, you know, death by TV ad or, you know, death by girlfriend, wh whoever told you. And uh, I'm not sure how long it's been, but uh, to date, I don't know who won the Super Bowl. I'm not even sure who was in it. I know my hometown team of, of the Eagles was in it. I don't know who the other team was. I don't know who won. And I don't give a shit. But but now it's become almost like a point of pride. Is like the less I know about what spectator stuff's going on, the better the better I feel. It's funny, just uh, just for the sake of sharing, we used to do something similar to that, but almost the 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 juxtaposition of it when. When I was younger, I traveled for a year through India and Nepal, and um, whenever we had a question, we wrote it down in a book, and we couldn't look it up on the internet. So we could only find out the answer 
through conversation. So we had this whole book of questions and we'd meet these people and be like, we'd ask them all these obscure, obscure questions all the time. And we'd get all these crazy looks like, why do you want to know this? We're like, we just want to know what the answer is. Someone has to know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. It was creates a ripple effect in that community too. Like, well, let's find granny. She may know. Yeah. 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 So finding yeah. knowledge in uh, you know, in an old school way through connecting and asking questions rather than yeah. just going back to that idea of that our thumbs can, you know, give us everything that we need for, for three hours at a time, you right. know, c- connecting with communities and, and, and asking questions to, to learn in a, a more ancient way of, of sharing, you know? It's also, I think the participatory aspect of it, you know, we're, to me, you know, this, this celebration of the champions, the whole, like the prefontaining of running, you know, uh, it, it becomes a whole part of the marketing thing. If we're told, oh, we should watch it. We should care about the Olympics. Well, if we care about the Olympics, then we care who won the medal and if we care about that person, then we're going to buy the shit that they are now endorsing and sponsoring. I guarantee you, you know what? 90 some percent of the runners out there are being sponsored by shoe companies, which switch to any other shoe company in a heartbeat if they're paid more. The, the product is bullshit and they know it, but whatever, I'll just wear it because they're paying me money. And that's the thing that kind of drives me nuts. And we've talked about, you know, earlier on, we were talking about like the, the strange people I met while researching Born to Run, and to me, every other book, Running with Sherman, Natural Born every one of these things is full of these bigger-than-life people. But it's because these are people that are out there. You know, we're, we're not all just focusing on the one celebrity person. Uh, we're turning our, our glance sideways and realizing there are way more interesting people to the left and right of us than the one that's been put up on this podium. Yeah, it's uh, it's the story that you shared earlier, shared earlier, like not going to New York where everyone else is, but saying, I'm going to find the story that no one's talking about, that no one knows, and tell that story, because that's actually the interesting one. That's the one that's going to be compelling and people are going to be drawn to, because it's something unique. It's something different. It's got its own flavor. We haven't heard it a million times, because anybody's on a podium, like we already know who that guy is. You know, We've already heard that story. And usually if you're on a podium, is because they have sacrificed everything else in their lives to get there. So... Their story is pretty nondescript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great pillar just for for being curious. You know, if if everyone's going to the podium, let's turn around and see. Let's get the story of the guy that didn't finish the race. You know, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, at Leadville, there's this epic story that they keep telling about. You know, Leadville's got a hard and fast thirty hour. Uh, cutoff and if you don't cross that line it's as if you didn't even run so if you're there 30 hours in one second you didn't you didn't finish and uh and the way they do this every year is that the mayor of the town of leadville will turn his back to the race course and he'll hold this shotgun and so he won't be moved by sympathy so the cat the the countdown clock is ticking he turns his back to the race course he can't see who's coming he just looks at the clock and 30 hours on a button, he blows that gun off. And the second that gun goes up, it's over. And there was this one time where some old guy is like struggling. He's coming up to Harrison Avenue and he's like a block away, he's half a block away. It's counting down. There's like four seconds to go. Three, two, boom. And he falls across the finish line as the gun goes off. But he literally goes face down. And like paramedics, and people are jumping on top of him. People said, all you saw was this arm emerge from the pile and just holding up a, like a finger, like number one, you know? <laughs> That's amazing. 
But you can never tell me that there is any finish in competitive sports that's gonna, you know, be better than that. Yeah, that's the true. That's the triumph of just sheer, sheer will and determination. So I don't, I don't care about who's gonna break the two minute mile. Who's gonna break the thirty hour Leadville by one half a second? Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, Christopher, just being mindful of your time, I feel like you know we could we could share stories and listen to you until uh, you know the sun went down. Um, maybe you could. We, we do have a closing question we ask everyone, but maybe before we ask our closing question, maybe you could share just like a cinematic story, whether that's the you know the quintessential run in Copper Canyon with Scott Canyon and yourself running with the Taro Omara um, people, or maybe a run with Sherman. Or maybe a run that um, you know none of us have heard about that have maybe maybe it's in the B reels or the B sides of one of these books. Um, maybe you can take us out with one story because uh, we just love sitting here listening around around our computers to the uh, the Christopher McDougall B reels. Well, that's that is cool. Oh yeah, I got a really good one for you. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty sure. It is not in print anywhere. I don't think I've ever written this story, but it was when I was researching Born to Run and I was in Arizona and uh, I was connecting with some runners, part of the uh, Hopi tribe and on Hopi uh, reservation land. And I connected with a guy named Dennis uh, Pulheko. And Dennis Pulheku was an indigenous Hopi runner, but he had lived outside of Hopi land off the reservation for much of his adolescence. And as he was getting older, he was trying to reconnect with his culture. And so he would drive from his town in Prescott, Arizona, into the reservation. And he uh, connected with a guy named Bucky Preston, who was a, an elder and a, and a runner. And Bucky would talk to Dennis and share a bunch of stuff. And then one of the things he talked to him about is, you know, that our culture, Hopi and Navajo, were great long distance runners. So Dennis began to run a little bit himself, getting in his 30s, never run before. And then he decided that his way of really immersing himself back in his culture was he was going to run around the entire reservation and visit everybody he was related to in one run around the reservation. So it becomes a, a 100K. You know, he runs a 60 mile run all the way around the reservation because it was the most amazing experience because uh, he would show up at a house and then his like aunties and uncles would come out and talk to him. And then he'd go off to run the next house and all the little kids, his little cousins and nephews are like run along with them as far as they could and almost take them to the next house. And people come out to greet him and it became this thing that snowballed. And the reason I heard this story is because I connected with Dennis, somehow a friend of a friend and went out to the Hopi reservation to, uh, to run with him. And he's telling me this story as we're running high up on the mesas overlooking the, the reservation, this is utterly open, desolate wilderness. And the moon is rising. The stars are coming out. It's cactuses and full on wild west. It's gorgeous. Until Dennis goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not sure where we are. <laughs> Lost. Lost as shit. And then we hear, like coyotes are howling. And we're looking around, there's nothing, dude. There's not like a light. And like, what the hell do we do now? And it's getting cold, you know, because this is Arizona, but it's night. And as soon as the sun goes down, it is like a meat locker. And, you know, 
I'm still kind of a new runner at this point. You know, this is like my first year of running. I just come back from the Copper Canyon. You know, I'd done a 50 mile race, but I, I was like the other threshold. So I, mean, I, I don't know how much gas I got in a tank at this point. I go like, I don't know, you know, you might have to leave me and come back with a chopper or something. So uh, we're, we're kind of running and, you know, but you get that adrenaline surge, like, oh shit, you know, suddenly I got fresh legs because I, I get the hell out of here. And then we finally, finally, finally found a, a you know, a logging trail and ran it down and came back to his car and then freezing cold, starving. And we, we drive to his uncle's house and go inside and like made some hot coffee and hot soup. And like, that was the cool run. It was this, the edge of disaster. You come out the other side and, and maybe think in that moment, he had this like, like a can of like Campbell's like beef barley soup. And it was like the greatest food I'd ever had in my life. And I thought if I ever open a restaurant, I will put it two miles up a hill. Like food will be really cheap. But you got to hike up here to get it because whatever you serve would be like the best thing anybody's ever had. So that, that was my Dennis Poole Heku. He, he I'm very sadly died in, in an auto accident uh, a couple of years after that. But what a terrific dude. And, and what a great way, I think, of, of finding out what really running had meant to his people and to him. Yeah, that's that's a great story and and beautiful. Yeah, that connecting connecting to his roots, himself, the the movement of running, and then in doing so, like connecting his community all together and and reminding them collectively of like, yeah, this is who we are. That's yeah. In many ways, the reminder of of your of your work and your book, like Born to Run, reminding us we this is this is our birthright. Movement in this way is our birthright, and so we should we should le- lean into it and live into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's our free fun. You know, this is. It'd be like a fish say, no, 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 I'm not a swimmer. Like, dude, you better be a swimmer, you know, because if not, you're, you're, you're bait. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And That's I think amazing. like, you know, you pointed out earlier, Dean, is that, yeah, if we're having problems in our life, that maybe this is a solution that's available that's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is so timely, I think, for our, for our over, over busy, over stressed, um, yeah, screened out world is to, to put it away and and get outside breathe some fresh air and and put some miles under our feet is is probably one of the best things we could do collectively for for ourselves our communities our society so yeah well we are so grateful uh for you for your time and your work and and um just zach and i started this podcast and and you'll love to know um it's birthed out of running so we would go for these long runs and have these cool conversations about spirituality and politics and what we ate for dinner and family life and all of the stuff and we just kind of thought oh this is so fun we would love to do this in like a podcast and have conversations with inspiring people who are creating brilliant work in the world and so whenever we get to do it we're just so grateful and so on a run Zach says to me I think we should call the podcast a little more good and I just knew in that moment, I was like, yes, that is the name. Because we'd been bouncing it back and forth. Zach owns a, a juice truck, a juice business here called The Juice Truck. So we're like, is it The Juice Truck Podcast? Is this? Anyway, he's like on, on the run. It just dropped. And I was like, yes, it's a little more good. And so we'd love to hear from our guests. What is that phrase or saying or title? What does that mean to you? A little more good. Okay, here's the first thing that pops in my mind. Um, I tend to be annoyed by nature, like things annoy me, you know, and one day I was walking across the beach and a bunch of people had set up a a pop-up tent 
for some kind of a birthday party, but they were kind of blocking the beach access. Like you had to walk around this thing in order to get off the beach. And in my mind, I'm like grumbling myself, like, you got three miles of beach. Like, why are you at the entrance? You can't move seven feet to the right. Like what the, and as I'm sour pussing this, all of a sudden I had just had this out of body experience. Like I could see myself from above, like, are you giving me the grumpy dude that's going to walk through the middle of this birthday party like an asshole? Or it's a birthday party. Like, who gives a shit if you got to walk seven feet around? Who cares? And so in that instant, I thought, dude, turn it around. Like, be better than, be, you know, be the guy that people are happy to see. So maybe, I'll, so that's what I did. So I walked up, like, hey, whose birthday is it? Oh, it's yours. Well, I was actually not a birthday. It's a going away party. Why are you leaving? I just met you. And I just got plunged myself in this, ate some cupcakes, you know, and had a great time with these people. And, uh, and that mind, it, it, in my mind, it, I made a mental note, which I probably fail more than I succeed, is that, you know, be the guy that people are happy to see no matter what. So maybe a little more good is that, is like, here's your baseline of how good you're going to be. Like, be a little bit better than that so that even if you, you feel like, you know what, this guy's cut me off in traffic. He deserves the finger. Don't do it. Just give him one of these instead. You know, like, hey, come on, buddy, you know. So maybe that's a little more good as that is that defy your grouchier instinct and try to be a little smilier than you would ordinarily. There we go. That's awesome. Well, Christopher, we're so, so grateful for the work that you do, for the sharing, the stories that you share, for the space that you hold. Uh, it brings so much pleasure and joy into my life. And I know the ripple of, of the stories that you share is, is, amplified you know joy around this this world and how we move and and how we see what's possible so just wanted to express my gratitude for this conversation and you know i hope we can connect again in the future whether over another podcast or or in hawaii or vancouver or somewhere in between yeah yeah i really appreciate it. i really enjoyed it a lot i would love to come up to vancouver so uh yeah if that ever works out you know it would be great to connect with you guys up there. yeah for yeah, sure we got uh, we got some beaches uh for some uh, body surfing waiting for you here a little colder and uh lots of lots of space to run right on great guys well again thank you so much for inviting me all right thanks so much christopher there we go christopher mcdougall man 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 myth legend 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 so good i love it his tales are so mind-blowing i love he's a role model on curiosity 100 percent. yes so good it's like infectious, you know, like it's literally coming through the screen. Just this like this passion for life, this curiosity, this wondering like what's around the next corner, what's over the next hill, what's the next story I could pursue. And even just like kind of like uh, his idea of like kind of going, you know, against the grain. Everyone's over here. I'm going to look for a story this way. I just love that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who are your role models for curiosity? Mm. Question, question to all y'all. Yeah, that's a good one. Who, who stokes your fire of curiosity? Mm stoke that fire all right well thank you everyone for tuning in we're grateful for all of your your time your ear space tuning in to christopher mcdougall born to run born to run Two, running with sherman natural what's his other one natural born heroes um incredible journalist author man man of curiosity mm-hmm. um thank you for for tuning in if you enjoyed this pod please you know, share it with a friend, share it with someone that shares your own curiosities, someone that is into running that maybe isn't into running. Um, 
And and uh, if you have the time, we're always grateful for likes, follows, reviews. It goes a long way in allowing us to share this good message. So whether on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, we are grateful for all follows, five-star, four-star, three-star, two-star, one-star reviews um, and comments. So thank you, thank you. And we look forward to uh, to further conversations, further curiosities with you all next week. Same time, same place. Stay good, y'all. Peace.